Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. I want to start today by asking you just a really, really simple question. Why? Why do you do what you do? Now, I'm sure there's a lot of things that you do. You might be raising a family. You might be entering to a season of life of, of marriage. You think about what's coming up tomorrow, or maybe even what's going on this past weekend in regards to your life or your family, activities that you've been doing. You might be thinking about tomorrow, what's going to happen tomorrow morning, get up, school, go to work, go to Walmart, whatever it is that you do. Why? Why do you do what you do? And this question really comes to us from a Christian's perspective when it comes to serving the Lord, using the spiritual gifts that God's given to you. And that's one of the things that we see clearly in Scripture is we see the fact that God, by His Spirit, has equipped every believer to be used in the kingdom of God. That, that you are like a tremendous tool in God's toolbox. And that your life, infused by the Spirit of God, in God's hand, is designed and meant to be a tool. To have use, to have purpose. And I know that for many of us, we think to ourselves, well, what is that use and what is that purpose? And maybe today, this morning, you came to serve, to teach a class, to greet at the door. Uh, maybe you were in the back in the kitchen serving, or maybe you were on the parking lot and you were doing security. Maybe you felt like I'm, I'm here to encourage, and maybe you showed up and you encouraged the people. Maybe you're here and you're just checking things out and you're wondering, is, is this really a place that might be for me or might be for my family? Why do you do what you do when you serve the Lord? I've heard people over the years say lots of things to that question. Uh, some people have thought about the end of life. They thought about, you know, when I die, I go to heaven. What is going to be there for me? I've even heard people intimate at times in their life that they can't wait to go to heaven because of all the rewards and all the honors and the things that are going to be given to them when they die and go to heaven. I've even heard it put this way by people before. As I serve God here on this earth, I cannot wait till I get to that mansion in heaven 
And everything that I do on this earth now is just adding another square foot to that mansion. I've heard other people say, as I serve God, day in, day out, and yes, times that you might be, you might serve, and it's it can be very thankless. You you may not get a lot of people who come alongside you or pat you on the back or or encourage you, and you might think, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? And some people say, well, you know, one day in heaven, I'm going to have a crown, and if people don't thank me here, or I don't get any reward here, then one day I'll get a crown, and what I'm doing here on this earth is I'm adding jewels to that crown, and I can't wait till I die and go to heaven and see the big, large, great mansion that God has for me and the great crown of jewels that I'm amassing while I serve God on this earth. And then I've heard people who might come to know Christ at the end of their life. And they might say, well, I guess when I get to heaven, there won't be a whole lot for me there. I'll have a shack off in the corner but Jesus will be there, and that will be enough for me. Is this really the picture of the afterlife that Scripture gives to us as believers of what our reward or rewards will be like in heaven? As you serve the Lord today, did you really add a square foot to your mansion? Did you really add another jewel to your crown that you'll look forward to one day? Or rather, maybe sometimes when you've heard a message like this, you think, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm doing anything. I don't guess I've added a square foot to my mansion, and I don't guess I've added very many jewels lately. So I guess I better get busy building that great house I'm going to have in heaven or building that crown. So, so today I'm going to rededicate my life and I'm going to try harder from here on out because I do, after all, want to have a significant house or a significant crown when I get to heaven. You see how this thing works? It, it really is like a two-edged sword. Is this really, is this really what the afterlife in heaven looks like for us? Will we be lined up in mansion upon mansion on a street of gold? And today, you're just building and adding that. Well, let's make no mistake about it, okay? You know, Jesus himself did talk about, you know, storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. Not storing up treasures on this earth, but treasures in heaven. It begs the question, when I think about what is special or meaningful to God, do, do, are those things the same as what might be special or meaningful for us in this culture? Sometimes we think of what a treasure is on this earth may not be anything like what a treasure actually is in heaven. So we could probably easily dismiss that notion or that idea that Jesus is saying, well, don't store up for yourself a lot of wealth and crowns and jewels and stuff like that on this earth, but rather do that in heaven. Don't necessarily think at all. That's what Jesus is talking about because I don't believe that God places value in those materialistic things that so many times we place value in. 
But what we do see time and time again in Scripture is we see that God places great value on human lives. He treasures the heart and He treasures people. Those seem to be, throughout Scripture, the greatest treasures of all. The people that He calls His family. And for us, what Scripture seems to hold very, very airtight and watertight is that the treasures and the riches that we have is everything that we find in Christ through spiritual blessings. Whether that be forgiveness, wholeness, completeness, hope, joy, faith, all of these seem to be, biblically speaking, to be the great treasures that we have in Christ. But what about those passages of Scripture, uh, like we're going to look at in John, we're going to 1 Corinthians 3 in just a second, like John chapter 14. Because people will say, well, doesn't the Bible actually teach that we're going to get a mansion? And many times people will go to John chapter 14, because that's maybe what they've been taught or believe that what the Scripture seems to say in John chapter 14. Here's what Jesus said there. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, also in me. And if you will remember at this point in time, Jesus is talking to the disciples who are coming to grips with the fact that he's going to leave. That he's not going to be with them much longer. So they are very concerned about Jesus' departure, life without Jesus on this earth. What is he going to go do? What is he going to be about? And what do we have to look forward to while he's gone? So in John chapter 14, Jesus says to them, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house. Now, if you are reading the King James translation of this, which so many of us, uh, we, we grew up and we learned and when we first were introduced to Scripture in our area here, it was the King James that, that we learned Scripture from. There, the King James does say, in my Father's house are mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There, that's where we get the idea that we're going to have a mansion in heaven. But you and I both know that we are at the mercy of the English language whenever Scripture is translated. And in the translation that we provide for you on Sunday mornings on the screen, it does not say mansion or mansions. It simply says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. And in the Greek text, that word for dwelling places literally means an abode. A place can also mean like a room. A, a place you reside. In other words, when Jesus was trying to encourage us about the afterlife and where he was going, it's not so much that Jesus has left this earth so he could go build us a great mansion, if you will, but it's that we have the hope in Christ that we will never that we will in fact have a place 
to reside. And there in the abode, which can be translated as room, it's not Jesus is saying in heaven, there is room for you. And it's a family term, which means you're not going to be alone. But there you will reside forever with all of those who are in Christ, a family dwelling place. God owns it all and there's a place for you. Not a big, large mansion, if you will, but simply says, in my Father's. And here's a great clue in the text. In my Father's what? Look at the text. In my Father's what? Does it make sense to say, in my house there are mansions? He says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. It doesn't make sense to say, in my Father's house are many mansions, like houses within a house. But it makes perfect sense to understand that within the Father's house, there will be many dwelling places or rooms. And guess what? There's room for you. There's room for you. And there's nothing in the text that leads me to think that the room that God has for me is going to be different than the room that He has for you. Last week, we looked at the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And at the end of the day, which is a picture of the kingdom, end of the day, what did they all get, no matter how long they had served? What did they all get? They all got the same. And the concern of those who had served the longest to those who had served the least amount of time, they said, you are treating them as equal to us. And that was Jesus' whole point in the kingdom of the parable of the laborers that in God's house, in God's kingdom, we all get the same. And whatever we get in Christ, I promise you, is more than enough. There's another passage of scripture that people look at when it comes to the idea of crowns and the idea of rewards. And that's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And listen to the language here. Paul says, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the what? The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. So many people say, well, there you have it. There you have it. One of these days, I'm going to get my own special crown and God's going to award me with this special crown and all the works and all the good deeds that in my life, this crown is going to reflect all of that and everything that I've done for God is just going to be another jewel added to the crown. But notice this. This is a crown of what? It is a crown of righteousness, which means this is figurative language of a prize or a singular reward that will be received in the afterlife. 
that it's like someone who's run a race. And they finish the race, and at the end of running the race, there is for them an honor, if you will, of what they will receive when they have completed the race. It's like Paul is saying, I have ran the race. I've kept the faith. One day, there is laid up for me a reward, a great honor that's going to come to me. But notice what is said next in the biblical text. He says at the end of verse 8, but not only to me, but also to who? Are you all with me? But also to all. But also to all who have loved His appearing. Paul's crown, which is figurative of the honor that one receives of coming into the kingdom of God, Paul's crown is no different than yours mine, and it's not a literal crown, it's an honor of being in Christ. And he makes it very clear when he says, not only to me, also to all love His appearing. No difference. One's not greater than the other. Because honor, the reward, Singular, it comes to all those who are in Christ. It's the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is another place that people have gone to to think in terms of what will my reward be? What will be the honors that are given to me? Will I, will I have more in heaven than you're going to have? Are you going to have more in heaven and I'm going to have, is this really what is taught in the Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to slow down and break this passage down. Now there is an issue that Paul was dealing with in the Corinthian church. The issue that he was dealing with in the Corinthian church is that people were attaching themselves to leaders or spiritual teachers. So there's two that are primarily mentioned in this text, and it's Paul and it's Apollos. And Paul's dealing with the issue that some people were saying, you know what, I am of Paul. I cling to Paul. Paul is my spiritual mentor. He's my guy. Other people were saying, no, 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 no. Apollos, he's my guy. He's my teacher. And Paul, in in the Corinthian letter, would be very careful to come to them and to say, listen guys, don't be attaching yourselves to, to these individuals. I mean, after all, who died for you? Christ died for you. However, since Christ is your spiritual mentor and your spiritual guide, please know, please know that people do play an important role in the kingdom of God. Just like we said that you have a spiritual gift and God has equipped you to make a difference in this world. You're not an accident. You weren't an accident when you were born. And guess what? You're not an accident when you were born again into Christ. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He wants to use your life to build others up and to build the kingdom of God. So you have an important role. And this is what he comes back. He says this in 
verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Then he says, what then is Apollos, and what is Paul? And watch this, because there's a huge, huge clue in this text, in this next statement, about what the reward is when he gets to that point in time. He says, what then is Apollos, Apollos, and what is Paul? And he gives the answer. Servants through whom what? Servants through whom what? Servants through whom you believe. He's highlighting the fact that it was through the ministry of Paul, it was through the ministry of Apollos, that the Corinthian people came to have faith in Christ. God used the lives of those two apostles to share the gospel and the message of Jesus to others that they would come and believe. Then he says about their specific roles. He says, I did what? I planted, let's go back to the last part of verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Paul said, listen, God just gave me the opportunity. God gave Apollos the opportunity. And guess what? God is giving you opportunity too. God gave opportunity to each one. Then he says, in their specific roles, I planted. As an apostle, the apostle Paul came along. He shares the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Corinthian believers. He planted. He's like sowing seeds. He's expressing and sharing the gospel to them in their lives. Then Apollos comes along after that. And after you plant, what happens? After you plant, what happens? After you plant, you pray, you hope for what? You pray and you hope for rain. He says, Apollos comes along. Then building, watch this, building upon the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, then Apollos watered. But God was doing what? Was causing the growth. And in the analogy here in the text, what is the growth? The growth is that in the Corinthian context and in the Corinthian world, people were coming to faith in Christ. Paul planted. Apollos watered. God gave the increase. God gave the growth. People were coming to faith in Jesus because of their ministry. Then he says in verse 8, Now he who plants and he who waters or one, they were both apostles in the kingdom of God. But each one will receive his what? Here it is. Each one will receive his what? His own reward. And what we immediately begin to think at that point is that Paul's talking about heaven. That Paul's talking about that in heaven, that one day Paul's going to die. Apollos is going to die. 
And in heaven, they're going to receive their reward. According, at the end of this, according to his own labor. But if you have followed the text, there is no reason to conclude or think that Paul is talking about what we're going to have or what they're going to have in heaven. In fact, already gave this five. He says, back in verse five again, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through what? Servants through whom you what? You believed. In other words, there's already been a harvest. And the harvest that already began to take place in the Corinthian folks' lives was that they were coming to faith in Christ. In other words, what Paul and Apollos were seeing happening is that as one planted, the other watered, people were coming to faith in Christ, and that is their reward. Not the reward of what will come in heaven, but the reward of what was here and what was now in their lives. If you plant, if you water, if you sow, there will be a harvest. And that may be a harvest that you see in your very life. The other night, the other night, I was at a soccer game. And I walked up into the gate, paid my admission, and a young girl came to me. I had just baptized her last Sunday morning. Katie and I were together. She came up and she started talking to us. And we just hung out there for a second and began to chat. And uh, then we went on to the bleachers and we sat there in the bleachers together. And guess what? She sat with us in the bleachers. She was with us the entire game and we talked and we watched the game and we had a great time. I even bought her pickles at the concession stand. Because I ate all of her popcorn that she had. So she sat with us the entire game. And then while we're sitting there at the game, another young girl from our church in our ministry, who we've seen grow in Christ over the last two to three years, she came up to the bleachers as well, and she sat down beside us. And she joined us for the second half, and she provided color commentary for the whole soccer game that was taking place. And then, right before the end of the game, another young girl who I got the privilege to baptize at Jonathan Creek, she came up to tell the other girls that it was time to go, and we said hello, had a quick exchange. She was there for just a second, and God impressed this on my heart, that Alan Miller, First Missionary Baptist Church, as you plant, as you water, God will give increase here and now. There are so many rewards of what you're doing if you'll just open your eyes and see them today. And God, like, burned upon my heart. I would not have any of these relationships with any of these girls had I not been called to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they were not family members biologically. They were not friends in the community. I just didn't know them through, through the school, but I knew them through the body of Christ, and we enjoyed life. And we enjoyed a game together. And it was like God said, Alan, this is one of the rewards I give to you in this life. 
And God began to impress upon me that as we do what we do, and yes, there are times and there's days, it's hard. In fact, right before I walked into the service this morning, I said to myself as I stood there, it seemed like everything had fallen apart today. I said to myself, God, does this make a difference? Because so many times we do feel like what? We feel like we're just throwing it out there. We feel like nobody cares. We feel like nobody's paying attention. And I was like, God, will it make any difference today if I preach this message or not? And I promise you, right before I came through those doors, Miss Suzanne came up to me and said, Brother, I just want to let you know that over the last couple of weeks, what you've been teaching and what you've been sharing has opened my eyes to a lot of neat stuff that I didn't realize. And you know what I said to her? You do not know how much I needed to hear that right now. It only makes sense in the text. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, many had already come to believe. He says, each will receive his own reward according to his own what? His own labor that is in the present, present tense, which is here and now. And then watch this. For we are God's fellow workers. You are. You are God's field. God's building. What is God's building? It is the church. The foundation that had been laid was the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The apostles came and they began to build upon that. And what was established upon that was the church, the body of Christ. That is God's building. Not the church building per se, but God's people, the church building. God's people are the church building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. Paul, the apostle says, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. That's Apollos. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What we're doing today is we are building upon. We're building upon what has already been laid for us. Verse 12. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show. This is probably in the text where Paul, watch this, where Paul maybe starts to think about the future. And he starts thinking about the future and how we build and what we do upon what's already been laid for us. This might be a turning point in the Scripture where Paul then begins to think about the future. But listen to this if that's the case. He says in verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test 
the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a what? He shall receive a what? If Paul is talking about heaven here, if he is talking about the future here, does he say he will receive rewards? Plural? Rewards? More square footage to the mansion? Additional jewels in the crown? It's not plural, but it's what? It's singular. A singular reward. What is the reward? Scripture te teaches us that the reward is the inheritance that we have in Christ. All that we have in Christ is the reward. Not rewards, but a reward. We all get the same reward. The riches that we have in Christ. So in heaven, if this is the case, in heaven, I'm not going to get more than you. You're not going to get more than me. But what we both get is more than enough because it's all that we have in Christ. Reward. Not rewards. So why do we do what we do then? Somebody can say, well, you know, there's reward that we see on this earth. People come to know Christ and, and we get to experience the lives of other people. We have an inheritance in heaven, which is also what we have now in Christ. We have the riches of Christ right here and right now. But there's one place in Scripture that I think is absolutely amazing when it comes to why do you do what you do? Why did you get up this morning and prepare your Sunday school lesson? Why did you come and teach today? Why did you stand at the door? Why did you do what you did? Whatever it is you did. Or maybe what you do in the body of Christ is not something that we can quantify even on a Sunday morning, but outside the body throughout the week. It all matters, folks. All the service that we do in Christ matters no matter when you do it or how you do it or what your gift looks like. It matters. So why do we do what we do? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, I think Paul gives us the answer. He says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ is what? Some translations at this point will say compels. To compel. To compel means to come upon you in such a way that it urges you to act. To compel means that something comes upon you that urges you to act. Once you are compelled, then you propel. To propel means that you are forward in a positive manner. You are, you are moving. You're doing what you do. What is it that's outside of you that comes upon you that urges you to act, that compels you, that causes you then to propel? 
Why do you do what you do? Why do we do what we do? Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. New American Standard says, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Should we do what we do? Is it square footage to a mansion? Is it to think about jewels in the crown, heavenly loot? Or do we do what we do because once the love of Christ has arrested our hearts, we cannot do anything but. In time, in time, in time again, even in my life, and I know that many of you, even in your life, at the end of the day, you just acted, you just did, because there was a love in your heart that constrained you and propelled you and moved you and caused you to do what you do. If, if your motivation, I promise you, if your motivation for serving is because of the encouragement of other people, I promise you, three days that you quit. If your motivation for service is only in what you perceive as a visible reward or a harvest in your life, there will come a time that you'll quit. Noah's a perfect example of this. God says 120 days man will be upon the earth. Then, then, the, then the flood would come. Noah, Noah, Noah preached 120 years of the coming judgment of God. How many converts did he have? Outside of his family, zero. And for 120 years, he kept proclaiming the grace of God during that time period, calling upon men to repent, Outside of his family, he had zero converts. Nobody came along and said, Noah, you've made a difference in my life. Not a one. What compelled him? What constrained him? It was God in his life. He was simply being obedient to what God had called him to do. He had a love relationship with God. And the scripture says, listen to this, that Noah's name literally means peace and rest. He had himself found peace and rest in God, and he would be an instrument that God would then use post-flood to literally save humanity. But during those days of, of laboring and striving and sharing and preparing for the judgment to come, nobody came to him and said, man, your life has made a difference. No. If you do it for what other people say, and I promise you this, there's not enough money in this world to lead anyone to serve the Lord faithfully throughout their life. I promise you that. So why do you do what you do? Because the love of Christ has arrested your heart. 
And you say, Brother Allen, I don't know if it has. Then look at the cross. Consider the gospel of what He's done for you. I've shared this with you all many times. It's still on my refrigerator today. Still on my refrigerator today. When Emily was at home and the kids were small and both of them in diapers, whatever. I mean, she had some tough days. And so one day she got an idea that she would take a note card and she would write herself a personal message. And you know what the personal message on her note card said? It said, compare it to the cross. So that no matter what she was doing or what was going on in her life and no matter how interesting the kids were being, and we did have one that literally hung from a chandelier one day, and Daddy was watching. It was my fault, but anyway. She would walk by. That Just that little note. Whatever you're going through. Whatever you're facing. How hard you it to the cross. And why is it so important? It's not important because Jesus just died for you. It's important because Jesus loves you. He would not have done what He did had the love of God not constrained him. And it was the very love that gripped his heart that is the same love that can grip our hearts and cause us to serve or to lead or to do what we do endlessly day after day, week after week with no thanks, no encouragement. Why? Because the love of Christ is enough. And when I die and I go to heaven, the thing that I look forward to is not heavenly loot, a big mansion, or jewels in the crown. I look forward to the never-ending experience of the love of Christ that I will have there. And all of those who've gone on before me. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do it? Some of you might even been in an opportunity today. You know, Brother Allen, it's in my Heart to serve. And I have said time and time again, people will come and they'll get discouraged and they'll say, you know what, nobody wants to serve. Nobody wants to do anything. And I come back and I say, I really believe, I really believe that born again, true believe, I believe it's in their heart to serve. I really do. And maybe some of you are sitting here today and you say, Man, I want to serve. It's in my heart. Or maybe you've just been caught up with all kinds of stuff in life. And I want you to know, there is opportunity, there is need in the body of Christ today to serve. Look around. There's some folks who could use a little encouragement. There's some folks who can need some support. There's opportunity. And I believe in my heart, we as a body of Christ move toward the end of October. God is going to open up an opportunity for all of us to love and to serve like we've never loved and never served before. But my big concern is, are we ready for what God could potentially bring to us? And it's going to take all of us serving and using our gifts for us to be all that God is calling us to be in this community. This is a season of prayer and a season of preparing our hearts for what is to come in just six, seven weeks away. It's going to take all of us serving 
and ministry. It's going to take all of us getting our eyes off of self, getting our eyes fixed on the cross, and believing with all of our hearts that there's no greater hope in this world other than hope that we find in Christ. May His love constrain you today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.